There's a, there's a joke in the church that on Mother's Day, we're all like sweet and sappy. We celebrate moms like they are absolutely perfect. And then what often happens on Father's Day is like, we talk to dads and we're like, man up, get your act together. Quit shirking your responsibilities, come on. And we give you guys a really, really hard time. And so we decided pretty early on at Connect that we weren't gonna do that, at least to the best of our ability. We were gonna celebrate you dads at least as much as we do moms. And so this morning, we hope that kind of all the goofy stuff that we have set up around the theater lobby in particular, you'll enjoy. You'll enjoy the free mugs that we're giving you. If you're a guy, you don't have to be a dad, just a guy, that's all we need. If you're a guy, grab a mug on your way out and enjoy some root beer, free on us. We got a big keg from the Grizzly Paw Brewery out in Canmore. And so we want you guys to drink all of it. There's like 50 liters. We got to get rid of it. So you guys help us by drinking that. There are also lawn games out there. Go play some Connect Four. And listen, dad, it's your day. So play Connect Four with your son. Don't let him win. I want you to go after that kid. I want you to destroy him, reduce him to tears. It's your day. You deserve to win. So I want you to do that. I thought, okay, I'm only kidding. Sheesh. I want you guys to just have an absolute blast. We've got a dad joke competition coming up at the end of the service. That's going to be a lot of fun. Just have a great, great, happy Father's Day here and with whatever else you have planned for the day. Now, with that being said, in my message this morning, I'm actually going to compare all of you dads and all of you men to the first murderer in the history of humanity. Oh my gosh, hashtag worst pastor ever. You guys can go ahead and put that on social media right away. I mean, seriously, I thought you just told me, Dan, that we were going to celebrate dads. And we are, we absolutely are. But we're gonna be looking at a story from the first book of the Bible this morning. And what it's going to reveal to us are the pressures that you often feel as a dad. Or if you're not a dad, even some of the pressures that you feel as a man in the 21st century. Hey, there are even some of you ladies that feel these exact same pressures in your own life. And so we're going to look at this character from the scripture, and you're going to see so much of yourself, maybe your brother or brother-in-law, other men that you know in this story. And I have the feeling and by the end of this morning, you might actually see yourself a little bit differently than you have up to this point as a dad or as a man in our world. If you have a husband or a brother or a boyfriend or a son, you might even see him a little bit differently than you have so far. Because there are a lot of pressures that are on you dads today, aren't there? There are a lot of pressures on your shoulders. Of course, moms have pressures too, moms. Please understand that I'm not saying dad carries all the weight. In fact, that's part of the problem that we're gonna be addressing this morning. There are pressures on your shoulders as a man. There's the pressure that you feel to be the provider of your family, right? Whether that's fair or unfair, you carry a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Like, I need to provide, I need to take care of, I need my family to have, I want my kids to have the best I can possibly give them. And that is a heavy mantle to carry day in and day out. You feel the pressure of uh, being the disciplinarian, you know? Often you're the one that has to sit the kids down and either take stuff away from them when they misbehave or, you know, punish them if that's what needs to happen. So you've got that sort of pressure on your shoulders. You've got the pressure that the church often puts on you. We're like, you're the spiritual leader of your house. You need to step up, man. You've got that pressure that you carry around every day. Heck, we could just generalize it and say that as the father or even as the man in your home, there is this pressure on you that you should be a hero. 
You should be the, the superhero. You're always there to, with the right answer, with the right solution. You're the strong one. You're going to save the day, dad. Then you get the pressures of having the perfect dad bod. Pressures of always telling the perfect dad joke. I mean, there is a lot of pressure on you men today. And here's what I think. A lot of that pressure God never intended for you to carry around. That pressure is self-imposed. It's imposed by our culture. It's imposed by unrealistic expectations of what it even means to be a man. And so as we look at this character from the Bible, this guy named Cain in the book of Genesis, we're going to see that God wants to alleviate. He wants to relieve so much of the pressure that you're carrying around every single day, Dad. So let's dive right in here. We're in the middle of our series called Characters. We're looking at a different person, men and women, young and old from the scripture. And today we're going to look at Cain, whose story is told in the book of Genesis chapter number four. All right, I've already spilled the beans. Cain turns out to be the first murderer in the Bible, but I'll just tell you up front, dads, I'm not actually going to call you a murderer. I just think there's some things in Cain's situation that will speak to where you happen to find yourself today. So let's read this and then we'll kind of walk through it a little bit together. Uh, Genesis chapter number four, we'll start reading in verse number one. The scripture says this, now Adam, meaning Adam, like the first man that the early parts of the book of Genesis tell us about. Now Adam had sex with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and she gave birth to a, a young boy named Cain. And she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced the man. We're going to come back to that because that's a really interesting statement, isn't it? Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So Cain and Abel, perhaps those are names that ring a bell in your mind. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Cain is the older brother. Abel is the younger brother. Abel becomes a shepherd taking care of sheep and goats and whatever other barnyard animals you can think of. But Cain went into the family business. His dad, Adam, cultivated the ground. He was a farmer. That's what he did. And so Cain followed in his daddy's footsteps. Verse three says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now, the Bible tells us the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but God did not accept Cain and his gift. Let's pause for a sec. Let's talk about why that would be. They, bro they both brought a gift to God, and one of them God accepted, one of them God blessed, and the other one God said, nope, it's not what I'm looking for, it's not good enough. Now, let me tell you what this is not. God is not rejecting Cain's gift because he didn't offer an animal. Okay, um, so some people have said, well, Abel brought a lamb and it was the best lamb and God, uh, you know, he's always interested in these sacrifices that will point towards Jesus, who's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so Cain just brought the wrong thing. Okay? If he would have brought a lamb, then he would have been fine. But actually, when you read throughout the Old Testament, you know what you find out? There are lots of times where God encourages people to bring grain offerings. See, in the Old Testament, what you would do is you would give God a portion of however you raised your living. And so if you were a shepherd, you might give an animal. If you were a farmer, you might give you know crops. Um, whatever your job was, you would just present to God a portion of what he had blessed you with. So this is 
was really an okay thing for Cain to show up and to give grain. There was nothing wrong with that. Well, I'll also point out, it says that this was a gift offering. So it's not like they screwed up, they committed some sort of sin, they needed to come and sacrifice an animal so that God would forgive them. It wasn't anything like that. It was a voluntary choice to show up one day and to say, God, here's a little bit of what you've given me. And yet the Bible tells us that God rejected Cain's offering and he accepted Abel's. We're going to talk about why here in just a moment, but I wanted to get those things out of the way so you wouldn't get the wrong idea about why God reacted the way that he did. Now, the scripture says this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It is eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. Then one day, verse 8, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out into the fields. Let's go do some work together, bro. And while they were in the field, the Bible tells us that Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Hey, where's Abel? What happened to him? I haven't seen him around this afternoon. I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper? You've heard that phrase before. You didn't even know it came straight from the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. I'm not his boss. I'm not his babysitter, God. I don't know where he is. Of course, that's a total lie. Cain knew precisely where his brother Abel was. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, but my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anybody who finds me will kill me. But the Lord replied, no. For I will give a sevenfold punishment on anyone who kills you. If anybody exacts revenge, whether it's somebody in your family or somebody outside of your family in the future, I'll give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who attacks you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. By the way, we have no idea what the mark is. People have guessed they're all wrong. We have no clue what it is. So Cain left the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of wandering, which is called Nod, east of Eden. Now, That's a heavy story to start Father's Day off with, I understand. And there are a lot of different parts that we could pull out of this particular passage. I mean, we could focus on the sibling rivalry if we wanted to. That's often what gets talked about in in this passage. We could talk about the anger that led to the murder. I mean, we could focus on that. We could talk about God's surprisingly measured response to this terrible sin, right? Right? Like, I don't know, we just expect the God of the Old Testament to exact justice, don't we? We're like, yeah, people did things wrong. He smote them, but he didn't smote Cain. Why is that? I mean, we could spend all morning talking about that. There are a lot of parts of this story that are very interesting and could apply to you dads and men. But when I was reading this a few weeks ago, there was an idea that jumped out at me that caused me to look at this passage in a way that I had never seen before. And I'm wondering if you were to see it in the same light, it might change the pressures and responsibilities that you feel each and every day, dad, each and every day, husband, each and every day, son. Perhaps God might be willing to alleviate some of that weight that you're carrying. It all starts with something Eve said. 
So we'll put that verse back there on the screen for you. Eve, when she gave birth to Cain, I pointed out how strange this sentence was. Behold, I have delivered, I have given birth, I have produced the man. Now, the way this is written in the Hebrew, she's actually saying, I have produced Adam, because that's the Hebrew word for man. And she could have been saying, I have produced a second Adam, another one like the first one. She could have been saying, I just produced a baby boy. But commentators tell us that the most likely way to understand this is that she said, I have produced the man with the definite article, the man. Now, that's weird to me. That seems an oddly specific thing to say when your baby comes. Now, look, I'm not a mom, clearly. I've never given birth to anybody, certainly not the first, you know, man-child that was ever born. But this just strikes me as a very strange thing to say. And so as I was reading through it, I was like, why does she say that? Why does she say, I've produced, I've given birth to, I've delivered the man? And so I went through and I started reading some theological commentaries. By the way, um, don't ever believe that just because I'm the pastor that there are parts of the Bible that don't confuse me. There absolutely are. And so if you read the Bible yourself and you're like, this doesn't make sense. Why would they say this? Why would they act this way? You're in good company. We all get confused by the Bible sometimes. But let me challenge you to know that just because you are not aware of an answer to a problem in scripture doesn't mean that answer doesn't exist. So you should study the Bible. It can handle your questions. You should read it. And when you're like, I don't get it, it doesn't make sense, then send me an email or get a good commentary. Do some reading and some study and some research because when you dive into the Bible, man, there is so much good stuff that'll speak to your exact situation day in and day out. So I started diving in and I'm like, okay, why does she say that uh, she has produced the man, right? And so what commentators tell us is the only way that you can understand Genesis 4 is to also study Genesis 3. You've got to keep the Bible in context. You have to read what goes on before and after. And so when you read Genesis 3, you find the story of Cain and Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, right? We read about how God created them, how he put them together. Their marriage started off so perfectly. It was like they were made for each other, you know? That's my dad joke for the day. Anyway, they had a good marriage. And then the story goes that they had some problems. They stopped getting along. God gave them a rule, one single rule that they needed to follow, and they decided to break it. And then after they both together broke the one rule that God had given them, they started blaming each other, you know? Eve's like, that's your fault. And he's like, no, 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 that's your fault. And so they started to experience this tension and this frustration. And in Genesis 3, we read about how God dealt with them after they broke this command. And what's really fascinating is God makes a promise to Adam and Eve. And he says to them, listen, you guys have messed up. You've caused a, a You've, you've caused sin to enter the world. Like, that's a bad fight, you guys. When you do something so bad that it impacts every single generation ever to come, that's a lot of pressure. And so God says to them, hey, listen, you guys have messed up, but it's not always gonna be this way. He said, I'm making you a promise. One day, you're gonna give birth to a child. And this child is going to undo all the harm that you guys have done. He's gonna undo the mistakes that you've made. This child is going to crush evil. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can say, yeah, of course, God was promising them that thousands of years in the future, 
Jesus was going to come on the scene. He would be Eve's great, 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 great. I won't go on, but you get the idea. Her great, great grandson. We know that's who God was talking about in Genesis chapter number three. But I want you to consider the fact that Eve didn't have that hindsight. She didn't know that when God said, you're going to give birth to a son and this son is going to, it's, he's going to undo all the pain and evil and suffering in the world. And so what do you think Eve thought was happening when she finally got pregnant and delivered her first baby boy? She thought this kid is going to be the redeemer. This kid is going to be the savior. God promised that we were going to have a child and this child was going to undo everything that we had done. And so she thought this child, he's the promised one. She wouldn't have used this word, but essentially she would have thought her son was the savior. Her son was the Messiah. Boy, did she turn out to be wrong. But anyway, hey, you have to wonder if everybody in the family didn't believe that Cain was supposed to be the savior of the family. Did everybody think that? Adam and Eve, did they share that with Cain? Did they say, Cain, you know, your mom and dad in our younger days, we made a big dumb mistake and caused a lot of problems in the world, but God has promised that our child is going to set all of this right. Did they raise him by telling him he was the promised one that was gonna undo all of this? Did, did they say, Cain, you're the chosen one, and Abel, we love you too? I mean, if so, no wonder there was a sibling rivalry, right? When your parents are saying, this is the promised Messiah who's going to right all the evil in the world, you've got to feel, no matter how good you are as a younger brother, you've got to feel bad about yourself. You have to wonder if Adam and Eve and the rest of their family, if they didn't come to believe that Cain was going to be the savior of the family. I mean, he was already the firstborn, which made him special in the ancient world. He was following in his dad's footsteps, right? Taking over the family business. He must have carried around a lot of weight and responsibility on his shoulder as he grew up because he was constantly hearing, you're the promised one. You're the one that's gonna fix the problems. You're the one that God has sent to right all of these wrongs. Perhaps this is why Cain's gift was rejected. When he showed up with his grain offering, it's not that he gave the wrong thing, it's that he gave it with the wrong motives. Perhaps he was so focused on doing all the right things so that he could prove that he was worthy of the mantle and the the name of being the savior of the family, so to speak, that he was just constantly go, go, go. How do I please mom and dad? How do I make sure Abel's clean in his room and doing what he's supposed to do? And oh, 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 I can almost imagine Cain on this day where he makes this offering to God. He's looking at his to-do list and he's like, okay, what do I have to do today? I mean, I've got to harvest the crops. I need to go look after Abel. I need to find a solution to all the pain and suffering in the world. And I should probably drop off an offering to God too. There is a lot of weight that he's walking around with day after day after day. Hey, I wonder, do we mistakenly put the same pressure on dads today? Do we look at dads as if they're the saviors of the family, 
as if their job is to right all the wrongs, to fix all the problems, to have all the answers, to lead and guide and direct perfectly without mistake, without ever dropping the ball. I wonder if we don't mistakenly put the same pressure on our dads every single day. I mean, listen, in our world, dads are judged by what they produce. Dads are judged by what they have. Dads are judged by what they accomplish. And that is a lot of pressure. That is a lot of weight for you to carry around. Perhaps pressure that you weren't expected to carry around. You've got to be the provider. You've got to be the protector. You've got to be the priest of your family. You're supposed to be the philosopher. You've got to tell a, a mean dad joke. You've got to grill a good hamburger. Like You've got this weight on your shoulders. And I think it's not too unlike the weight that Cain carried around every single day, where people look at you and they say, it's your job to fix this. It's your job to have the answer. It's your job to provide. We are like the success or failure of our family is on your shoulders, dad. Even if your family never says that, you actually might carry that around. You might've swallowed that idea from somewhere And so every day, you've got this weight on your shoulders. Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Am I capable of taking care of my family, even saving them, if that's what is necessary? But can I tell you that Cain was never meant to be the savior of his family? Adam and Eve totally misunderstood what his role was. And he was never meant to save the family. Jesus was. And I think it's possible that you were never intended to be the savior of your family. There is someone, there is someone else who is capable of doing for your wife and for your kids and for every other part of your family what you cannot do on your own. Cain was never meant to be the savior. You are not meant to be the savior. Can I give you the principle for this morning? This is what I hope you'll walk away remembering. The best dads don't see themselves as saviors. They see themselves as servants. The best dads don't see themselves as a savior. You don't walk around with the weight and the pressure. You don't feel like, oh my gosh, if I can't give my kids everything that they want, then I have failed. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to save them from all of life's hardships. You don't walk around feeling like, oh, I don't have the best physique. You know, I do rock the dad bod. And, you know, I can't give my wife everything that she might want. And so I've failed. No, you're not intended to be their savior. There are things that you can do for them, and there are things that you cannot do for them. Those things that you cannot do for them, God can. There is someone who is capable of meeting their deepest needs, even when you are not. And so whereas Cain saw himself perhaps as the savior of his family, he had been told for years and years and years he was responsible for the future and how things were going to turn out. Instead, he should have served the God who was their savior. He should have devoted himself to caring for his family as best as he could and then trusting the God who was able to pick up when his energy, when his resources, when his answers finally ran out. How might their family have been different if Cain had simply said, I'm going to trust God who is capable and qualified and worthy to be the savior of my family instead of trying to do everything on my own in my own power? I wonder how your family might be different if you trusted God instead of trying to provide everything, have every answer, always be perfect, never let anybody down. If you just acknowledge you can't, but you know somebody who can. Listen, 
When we read through Cain's story, there is a pattern that emerges. And this pattern is the exact same pattern that men follow in the 21st century. This happened thousands of years ago. And these guys still, me, you, all of us, we fall into this cycle, this pattern of behavior, and it leads to destruction when God wants to give us life overflowing. Let me point out a few of the things here. And again, I just wonder if you see your own story in this, or you see maybe somebody you know, your, your, your brother or your son or who it might be, if you see this story playing out, because I see it all the time, it happens week in and week out in men's lives around me. We, first of all, when we see ourselves as saviors instead of servants, we are busy doing instead of happy being. We get focused on accomplishing, doing, creating, possessing our titles, our bank accounts, the size of our home, the year of our truck that we drive. We get focused on the things that we are producing and doing We get so busy trying to prove that we're a good dad or a good husband that we forget what a privilege it is to be a dad or to be a husband or to be healthy or to live in a free country or to have a relatively comfortable life. We are so focused on doing and proving and accomplishing that we miss out on life itself. Cain was clearly bad about this. You read in the New Testament, the sin that he committed, the reason that God did not accept his offering was not because he gave the wrong thing. It was because he gave with the wrong heart. The scripture tells us in Hebrews 11, God did not accept his offering because he had no faith when he presented it. It was a duty. It was something he was trying to do to justify himself to the family and to his own mind and anybody else who might have been watching. As men, as dads, we run the risk of focusing on what we're doing instead of simply being there for our family. All right, uh, can I step on your toes for just a moment? I hope so. Hey, maybe your kids are better off if you go to their hockey game instead of working extra hours to buy them new skates. They might be a better hockey player. I guarantee you they will grow up to be a better man if you will be present in their lives instead of offering presence in their lives. Hey, maybe your wife doesn't need you to spend another hour at the gym. Maybe she needs you to just look her in the eyes and have a moment of intimacy, like where you really see each other. You guys are face-to-face together. Maybe, just maybe, you're following in the footsteps of Cain where you are busy doing instead of happy being. After we do that, we end up finding out that our most important relationships suffer. We see that in Cain's life. His relationship with his brother obviously went downhill, his parents, and of course, his relationship with God. And when we get so busy in life trying to prove ourselves, prove that we're worthy of the mantle of Savior of the family, then our faith often gets put on the back burner. The thing that's supposed to give us life instead goes dark. The thing that's supposed to give us balance and call us beyond ourselves, instead we ignore it as if it were unimportant. You know what happens? Although there are still people around you in your life, you feel empty and alone. You feel isolated because you're working, 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 trying to prove, trying to justify, trying to be the man that you're supposed to be. And in the meantime, you're withdrawing. You're closing yourself off. You're actually pulling further away from everybody who loves you 
and everybody that you love, including God. God himself will become just a distant thought. He'll be something out there somewhere, but you won't have a close personal relationship with him because you're trying to prove, you're trying to justify, you're trying to do. And here's what I find so sad. When men get caught in this cycle, doing instead of being, when their relationships begin to suffer, they don't change course despite the fact that clearly their marriage is going downhill, despite the fact that their relationship with their kids is stressed and strained and struggling, you know what most of us do? We double down. I just need to work harder. I just need to prove myself. I just need to do more. And so the cycle continues. We see that after our most important relationships suffer, eventually we medicate our pain. This is what Cain did. He lashed out in anger. It's easy to villainize Cain, to make him the real bad guy, but in truth, I think he just didn't know how to handle the pressure. It boiled over. He did something that he regretted and wouldn't have done in a normal circumstance, and it cost him everything. His anger was a form of self-medication. Now, listen, I don't think you're going to murder anybody, okay? You're probably not going to do that, but I wonder if you're caught in this same cycle, if you don't experience the exact same pressure to self-medicate the weight that you're carrying around, the pain and hurt and heartache and the feelings of inadequacy that you have, I wonder if you don't self-medicate your, your, on your, in your own life. Seriously. Maybe it's with a 70-hour work week. Again, you go back to proving yourself. Maybe it's with a bottle of whiskey. Maybe it's private browsing on your computer. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but I just wonder if there aren't some things that you're doing in your life that you know you shouldn't do, but you're doing them because it's like the only way you can manage what you're feeling, the only way that you can manage the pain that you're experiencing day in and day out. You try to find some way to alleviate the pressure, but it's unhealthy, it's unhelpful, it's unfruitful, and it leaves you worse off than when you started. You see how the cycle is progressing? I'm struggling, I'm pulling away from my family, those are the life-giving relationships I need to help me be who I'm supposed to be, since I don't know how to deal with it, I'll go chase after this, I'll pop some pills and hide my addiction, I don't know, you'll do something, and then eventually, all the stuff that you've been pursuing, it ends up leaving you unsatisfied. Your workaholism, your lack of relationships at home, whatever self-medication you're choosing, it leaves you unsatisfied. Did you see what happened to Cain after he walked through this cycle? God told him, the thing that you've devoted your life to that is tilling the ground, the business that you've given yourself to, it's not going to produce anything good. You're not gonna be happy with it anymore. It's not going to give you the thing that you want. And then ultimately the cycle ends, or at least this part of the cycle ends, when we lose our families. We've so pulled away, and we've so self-medicated. We've turned away from the God who wants to give us healing, who wants to really restore us, who wants to relieve and alleviate the pain and the weight that we carry around. We've pulled away from all of that, and eventually we lose the things that matter most, the relationships in our lives. Do you understand Cain's punishment was not death, and the ultimate punishment you could go through is not death. Everybody dies, whether you're a good person or a bad person. The ultimate punishment and the punishment that Cain had to carry around was isolation, was exile, was losing his family because he wasn't willing to acknowledge that he was dealing with his stress 
in unhealthy ways. Now listen, I wonder if some of you don't see yourself at some point in this journey. You know I'm at step two, and I already see myself headed to step three. I'm following in the same path as Cain, and it's probably the same path as your dad before you and other men in your life. I don't know where you may be, but my guess is you're probably somewhere on this journey. And I want you to know deep down inside that you can be free from this cycle. You can be free from the weight that you carry around to be your family's savior. Because that's ultimately what this comes down to. You're trying to prove that you can care for. You're trying to prove that you can provide for. You're trying to prove that you can protect. You're trying to prove that you're as good as the guy next door who just got a brand new Camaro. You are trying to prove constantly that you're worthy of this savior, superhero identity. And you don't have to carry that around. Your family already has a savior. His name is not Dan. It's not Brian. It's not Jorge. Your family's savior is named Jesus. Listen, dads, no matter how hard you work, it's never going to be enough. No matter how hard you try, there are always going to be things that your family cannot have or wounds that you cannot heal for them. So instead of trying to do for them what only God can, instead of being their superhero and their savior, you can say, all right, I'm going to give up that identity and title, and instead I'm going to be their servant. I'm going to serve my wife. I'm going to serve my kids. I am going to serve my God. I am going to trust that he can provide and care for and nurture when I can't. Dad, can you just release the idea that you have to be perfect? Can you let go of the superhero cape? Can you put out of your mind the idea that you have to be the perfect savior who always gets it right and instead use whatever influence, whatever strength, whatever resources you might have to point towards the one who will never let them down, the one who will always meet their needs, the one who will always heal their hurts. As a dad, the best thing you can give to your family is a real, authentic, living faith in Jesus pointing them towards him because he's the one who will meet their needs. I'm going to end with this verse. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest, dad, for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy. The yoke the world is trying to put on your shoulders is not easy. The expectations that you have each and every day for yourself or your husband or whatever, those are not easy. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I want to give you dads, the burden that I want to give you men is light. Jesus offers you the chance to let go of the weight and responsibility and to put it on somebody who can truly carry it.